Hello and welcome to Duelist Community Raw, episode 11. I am God, because God is what is. God is everywhere and everything and always has been and always will be. And I am something within everything and therefore I am God. And I am grateful that you are God, because that technically makes me God. So I'm grateful I'm God. And so is all of our community. And I wanted to say very quickly before we get into this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw, that I'm very grateful to be a part of this community. Five days a week now, we're talking to our community on live streaming or on groups or on TikTok Live or Instagram Live. And we're just coming up to the end of our first month doing this. I think we're in our third week right now. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's so satisfying to be able to communicate with all of you more often, to hear your feedback, to hear your comments, to correspond with you back and forth in DMs and on Discord, and to have your suggestions in terms of what to talk about or what to explore. It's really nice having these three extra live shows every week, like the one that you're about to listen to, because we actually get a chance to go back and forth with you in real time in the comments section, and you can inform the conversation for us. So I'm very excited. I'm very excited because if it were up to me, if it was solely resting on the imagination and insight of Andrew and myself, it would be a very limited show. Regardless of how limitless we might be, we are still always looking at things through the lens of our own personal experience. And so for you to be able to participate and share your experience, to share your stories, to share your perspectives with us, informs us in a way that we wouldn't have that opportunity to explore otherwise. So you are so important. It should be dualistic unity with you, but nobody would understand what that means. And so I just want to say thank you. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Dualistic unity with me and you, always. So with all that said, I hope you enjoy this live stream that is Dualistic Unity Raw, episode 11. And here we go. I always look forward to these. I have to tell you, Dualistic Unity Raw. Melissa was asking me, why, why is it raw? What does that mean? Because she hasn't had a chance to tune into these episodes as yet. And it's like, well, because we don't edit them and we more or less just talk like we normally talk. And she thought to herself for a moment and went, and how's that going? <laughs> do people like that? And apparently they do because we've had some really good feedback about these, these raw episodes. We get into, into some good subjects and it's kind of funny that we don't stop and go, do you want to get into this? Should we get into this? Maybe not. We shouldn't get into this quite yet because we don't have a chance to do so. It's pretty much just on the fly. So if you, the listener, are enjoying these episodes, we'd love to know about it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're always a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we never, I mean, they, they're different from the podcast to a degree, but they're also not that different also. Like we very much treat them not much differently than the podcast like for so many of our episodes when it's just the two of us we go into it without having (laughs) any idea of where it's going to go or what we're going to talk about and that's not too different than this sometimes i'll have a couple notes that i'll uh have jotted down to get into but uh yeah not not normally like today I, i have a couple things i was uh interested in but i don't know you got it you got anything i got a few from uh yesterday's patreon group we had asked for a few subjects to try and toss into yesterday's episode that we didn't get a chance to toss in so i thought maybe we'd go over 
over it a bit today. Yeah, sounds great. Oh, I did have those written down too. Yeah, we never got to any of those, huh? <laughs> uh, sounds good. Yeah, and, and again, I want to remind everyone who's joining us for this, this is an opportune moment for you to ask a question or introduce the subject and just have us go on a tangent. That's why we like these. Admittedly, that's one of the things I do like about these raw episodes is that people can get involved while we're recording them. And sometimes that's great. Other times we're in the middle of a thought and all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually, let's go that way. <laughs> so that might be frustrating for the listener, but that's nonlinear learning, which is something that I, I call a way of life. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, it's definitely uh, enjoy having kind of a crowd to a degree tuning in, commenting their thoughts and questions and concerns, because that does a lot of times inform these discussions. So if you're listening to this as a podcast episode, also after the fact, like definitely hop on Twitch if you have a chance, if you're free during the live stream, because you will inevitably have an impact on the episode. So. Yeah. Which you always are anyway, but at least this way you'll have more of a more of a perception that you're doing so directly. And we always enjoy hearing from everyone. Uh, that all said, though, we might as well get to one of the topics that was introduced, which was the ex the uh, the phrase "there is no compassion in forgiveness," which of course came from Krishnamurti. This is one of those insights that takes time. It's definitely not one of the easier insights because it really does require you to question yourself or selfishness entirely so i'm curious about your thoughts andrew yeah no this is this is one that took me some time to digest and i, I don't think i've even fully digested or or understood it from, but i guess from my understanding and basically stuff you know what we talk about all the time is that Anything that perpetuates the perception of division reinforces the root of your suffering. And so even something like forgiveness, inherently, there's perception of division there. I am forgiving someone else, or even I am forgiving myself implies two, two entities. There's only one being, you know, the idea of yourself and the reality of, of what you are. And so if you're forgiving yourself or someone else, it reinforces this idea that you're something at all separate from anything else. And when you think about compassion, compassion is, is seeing yourself in another. I feel like it's, it's similar to empathy. And I'm curious, Ray's thoughts on the difference between empathy and compassion, if there is much of a difference, but I see that forgiveness is further dividing or further pushing this illusion of division, even if it has, you know, quote unquote, good intentions, like with so many things that the ego kind of does, it it masks itself in good intentions or, or wanting to be more unifying or, you know, whatever it may be. And, and the reality of forgiveness is that although it may seem like you're doing a good thing for someone else, the reality is you're doing it for yourself because you don't feel great. And so you're forgiving them or you don't quite feel right in yourself. And so you're forgiving them in order to allow them to feel better about it, but you're really only doing it to soothe yourself and your own needs and wants. And so it makes me wonder if 
forgiveness is compassionate at all. And as this quote says, may not be. Well, that's it, right? Because it comes down to selfishness. At the end of the day, who are you forgiving for? And what does that mean? Right? Because often it means that you are under the assumption that things should have happened differently than they did. And that somehow you should be apologized to for that. <laughs> like reality should say like, yeah, that shouldn't, have, that shouldn't have happened. But it did happen, right? And that's the thing. But often it's funny because I've actually heard this from people who tend to hold grudges. You know, like one day I'll forgive them. Like that's a favor, right? Like you're doing it for them, but it's really for you at the end of the day. Because when you let go of that grudge, you benefit from it. And if you hold on to that grudge, you kind of suffer from it as well. But as for the uh, compassion part, I think, I think it's really interesting because we have this idea of what's best for people. And we have this idea of what we might want somebody to do for us. But that's never really at the forefront of our minds when we're offended or our feelings have been hurt. Normally, it's just our feelings being hurt. And I think that's the thing is that as long as you're focused on your feelings being hurt, you can't see where that hurt came from. You can't see the person and what they're embodying or what they're acting out because you're focused on yourself, right? And so even in forgiving them, you're making it about you. What is there to forgive? Right? They think that's the point is if there was any harm done, they have an opportunity to learn from it as, as do we. Right. And if we learn from it, then it's not about forgiveness so much as acceptance, again, of, of the fact that we're all doing our best. This kind of goes back to our conversation about trust, right? Trust and expectation. If, if you're trusting somebody to live up to your expectations, you're setting yourself up for betrayal. Right. And kind of the same way with this. Like if you're forgiving someone, you're not really because you're still judging them. Right. You're just saying, like, oh, okay, well. You've lived, you've done enough now to satisfy my requirement of you. So I'll forgive you. You're no longer, you know, you're no longer going to be gazed upon with scorn <laughs> and derision. It's just, it's a really selfish thing to do, but it doesn't feel that way. And in some ways it's not like, it's really important to, re to recognize that too. Like if you've been hurt by somebody and you're holding on to that hurt for a long time, sometimes what we mean by forgiveness is to let go of that hurt. So it's more of acceptance than a state of forgiveness right it's like it happened for whatever reasons were theirs it happened and now i have to move on and live with it and that's kind of forgiveness in itself but it's not the kind of forgiveness like oh i forgive them for what they've done it's not even about the other person it's about you which is ultimately the point yeah there's quite a degree of superiority in apology and forgiveness and it's like there's an expectation for someone if they act in a certain way to then apologize and then for you to forgive from them. And as you said, the people who are, say it's a longer term type thing, like something happened, it was like a, a bigger situation and uh, those people stopped talking for a while. And, and there's a degree of, a prison that's created from that situation as you hold on to it. So it's almost like as you hold on to anything, 
there's a prison. Like anything that you hold on to, be it the idea of yourself, a situation that happened in the past, something that's something that someone else did to you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're all forms of prison. And so forgiving the other person is only setting yourself free from that prison. So it's not to say that it's ever a wrong thing to do by any means, but it's not this thing where it's like you're doing it for them. It's always comes back to you're doing it for you. I feel like as we've talked through this, it's become more and more obvious now when I say it that forgiveness is all about you. It's not about them at all. And yet we have this just preconceived notion that it's for the other person and it never ever ever is. So it's not to say that you shouldn't forgive, but don't put it, put yourself on this pedestal for forgiving someone because there's no compassion in that. You're doing it for yourself, which is fine. You're setting yourself free, but don't confuse it with being compassionate. And the same can be true for asking for forgiveness, right? You can just say like, you know, am I good now? So I can go on with living my life and not actually learn anything. You know, I'm forgiven, right? I've done something to make up for it. I don't actually have to change as a person, right? So it's such an interesting, again, trick of the ego. Another way of, of playing that game of one person's higher than the other. It's an interesting mentality that that we're living in. But it's just so funny. Like we feel so magnanimous in forgiving somebody. And really, you're just putting yourself up on a pedestal, right? And it's, this is why, again, like, I don't ask forgiveness and I don't forgive anybody because I don't have any expectations, right? Like that, that's the whole thing. If somebody's like, you know, I'm really sorry for what, to who, right? Because if it's to me, you're missing the point, right? Like the guilt that you feel, the regret that you feel, the damage that you've caused in your own life, maybe the damage that you caused in the relationship between us because of the choice that you made, all of that stuff, that's all on you. That's your life. Like, each and every time. So it's really important to recognize that. And, and, and as long as you feel free, then we can have a better relationship. But it's it's the distortion that builds up. Yeah. And there's a, a comment in here. Interesting this is the topic today when I'm dealing with family not saying thank you after you help them. Um, yeah, it's funny how a lot of these topics are starting to cross over with everyone in in the community to a degree. But yeah, I find it's it's very funny when people do things with an expectation of being thanked or offer a compliment with an expectation of getting a compliment in return. Like it's just so fucking distorted when people do shit like that. And I'm finding more and more as I'm becoming, I don't know, more free in myself, I guess. It's not that I do things with an expectation, but it's because it almost comes down to a selfishness in a way. And an example of this would be like if I see that, you know, the mudroom, like the shoe closet area is super messy and I'm getting kind of bothered by it. It's like it doesn't matter whose shoes it is or whatever. If it's something that I'm bothered by and dealing with, I'll clean it up. And if it's something that I'm not bothered by and someone else is bothered by, and sometimes there's this creation like, well, it's your stuff. So, so you clean it. It's like, but it doesn't bother me. It's clearly bothering you a lot more. So I think this is an interesting topic because it seems to me like that person who's bothered by it should do it. 
because it's there bothering. But is there ever a, a situation or could could there be a situation or would it even make sense for the person who's being bothered by f- to try and convince someone who's part of the mess to do it? Or is that just going to create more suffering for the person who's asking because they're the one who's initially suffering from the floor not being clean if the other person isn't suffering from the floor not being clean you sir just brought up like the conversation when it comes to marriage just so you know because that's that's really what it's about like where is it where is it reasonable to say that's not really my problem especially when you're sharing a space or a life with someone because you do affect one another and you can say like oh whatever if she's annoyed by it you know that's up to her but that annoyance carries over and all of a sudden you see it rippling in other conversations after the fact and then you get a little annoyed it all starts to build up remember i was saying it's cumulative right so you have to ride that really fine line and so for me it really depends like try to be aware of your audience for example right like if it's been a super stressful day, for example. So the big difference between Melissa and myself is that I'm not one for making sure that everything is sparkling clean all the time. I'm really not. I'm good with a certain degree of chaos, a certain degree of chaos. I'm not saying it's gonna be a mess. I'm saying that I'm not gonna go and wipe all the countertops if you're coming over. I'm just saying, right? And, And if there's a little bit of dirt near the front door where the shoes are, that makes sense to me. Shoes, dirt, front door. That doesn't bother me at all. My wife has a different opinion about those things. And so over the years, it's been, well, put your shoes away. I did put my shoes away. Well, there's dirt on the floor. Yeah, it's going to happen. And there's no resolution there. Whereas there have been other times where I've ignored her point of view to the point of actually walking across the house in my muddy shoes to get something because I felt that was more important and then realized later that caused a lot of stress for her. It actually did emotionally bother her more than it would bother me, but because I have different triggers. I have different things that I find important to her. A clean house is something that's important to her. It's reflective of her life. It's reflective of her state of mind. Like when the house is messy, she feels more unorganized as a result, right? Whereas me, because most of my world is subjective, I don't even notice for the most part, like in my head, everything's perfectly organized. Everything's nice and clean and quiet, right? Whereas in the reality around me, that has no impact on it. And so because of that, we have different priorities, right? So back to your question, there's no answer. It really does come down to sensitivity. It really just comes down to how important is it to you? How is it, how important is it to them? Is it really important? Because that's another one, right? Because you can say, like, we both have our point of view here, but at the end of the day, this is not a hill worth dying on. You know, that's an important one too. But yeah, it's it's always gray area. It's always gray area. But that said, when somebody is demanding that you acquiesce to their demands and their expectations and whatnot, to the point of ignoring your feelings entirely, yeah, don't do that. You know, you go ahead and piss them right off. Because sometimes that's what's required. Sometimes an argument is good just to let them know, like, no, my perspective is just as important to me. Right? And that's something we forget, especially if we've been around people who tend to just agree with us because they want to be liked. 
right? So all of a sudden you disagree, you disagree with somebody and they think that you actually don't like them as a result. And there's an opportunity to have a conversation where you establish a bridge and build a stronger relationship. See, that's the thing. Have you ever noticed relationships that are based on two people never disagreeing, never having any kind of you know, conflict whatsoever, they don't last very long. But a relationship that's two people digging past their, their own triggers and their shit and actually finding a bridge in between, those tend to last because they're based on you actually getting to know that other person on a deeper level. You're not just seeing the superficial. Arguments are good. They're not a bad thing so long as we look at them as opportunities. Yeah, it's like gaining experience along the way as opposed to just being caught up in the right way to do things or, or following the rules specifically. Like so many, I feel like there's so many aspects of our society, especially in like, you know, priests and monks, they have all of these requirements and very strict requirements they have to live by. And so rather than recognizing, or they're supposed to live by, so rather than recognizing the, the issue in the thing that they're not supposed to do through seeing it for what it is, they're just told that's not something you're supposed to do. And they don't even really understand why or what detriment it could cause or any of it. They're just told don't do that. And so inevitably, you know, shit happens and i'm not talking about anything specific on it i know it may sound like i am but i promise that i'm not it's it's any time they're you're doing something just because you're told it's like it doesn't ever sink in the way that it would if you experienced it we're like well why is that the case and then went and did it and you're like oh that's that's why that is usually the theme but it's not always universal you know, in a, in a relationship, for example, when someone says like, you know, you should treat your partner this way and always say the right thing or do the right thing or keep the whole house clean, whatever. It's like, if you never understand why that's the case, like if you don't experience it for yourself, it's not actually going to sink in. It's just going to be a surface, surface level understanding. It's not actually, actually there. And so I think, but I think a lot of that you know, like in our upbringing, going to school, we're just told to always get good grades. It's just what you do. But no one really understands why. And the thing is that even getting good grades these days, like doesn't actually guarantee anything. So it's not even like there is always a great reason to just get good grades just because it's like that, that, system is so archaic that it isn't actually even functional anymore and there could actually be better ways to spend your time to set yourself set yourself up for a better more enjoyable life than getting good grades so now we're just told to do something that doesn't actually may not even be the best thing for us oftentimes isn't but we still do it just because we're told and that kind of trickles into everything in our life, then we just do things because we're told to, because it's the quote unquote right thing to do, as opposed to recognizing the reason why it might actually be beneficial to do it. And so I wonder if with those things, with through those experiences, if that, if it almost always has to be a selfish reason why you do it, like even interacting with 
someone else. Like you're nice to someone because they treat you nicely in return. I guess it depends on your perspective of of yourself, you know, how you see yourself. If you see yourself as separate or not separate, that changes everything. Everything. So like, yeah. <laughs> that changes everything. And it gets rid of that that checklist mentality. You know, you know the mentality where somebody that you know that you've done lots of nice things for and you ask them for a favor, like, hey man, you know, I'm moving at the end of the month. I could really use your use a hand. You got a truck and you can give me a helping hand and they say well no i'm i'm busy i'm going out to the game that night and you think to yourself you asshole look at all the things that i've done for you and you start going through the checklist in your head and that's when you know that you weren't actually doing it for that person it was all done for you that's why you were doing it it's another way of manipulating reality where as if you don't have any sense of lack and you aren't expecting anything from anybody then you're not depending on that friend to be there for you. You're perfectly okay with making plans on your own. That doesn't require you to lean on anyone. Doesn't mean you don't ask. It just means you don't give a shit if, say, if they say no. Doesn't hurt your feelings. Doesn't bother you. You don't think to yourself, wow, what a wasted investment all of those nice things I did were. Because that's ultimately what we're saying, right? Like that's the problem. You let that go and our relationships start to change. You know, they become actual relationships instead of just a competition and manipulation because it's really what a lot of relationships are there's a hierarchy there there's a fulfillment of need and there's you know a certain degree of lack that drives it and that's so important to remember because as long as that's the case nobody's being themselves and therefore nobody can really love themselves or anyone else it's just a show for the sake of i don't know keeping up appearances this is something a lot of families, unfortunately, get into doing, especially with traditions, Christmas being a good example, where they'll get together with a bunch of people they don't that they wouldn't hang out with the rest of the year and pretend they all like each other until the very moment everybody leaves. And they're like, oh, God, thank God that's over. And fuck, I need a drink now, like that kind of thing. And it's, it happens so often. And why? Well, because we stopped valuing relationships and we started valuing the idea of a family. Families stick together. Blood is thicker than water and all that bullshit. And it didn't matter how toxic it became. You were just expected to be there for the family based on your last name, based on the fact that you, you share that blood, right? And so instead of families getting closer and growing together, they didn't really need to. And that's why you had this archaic belief, like, you know, children are seen and not heard. And, you know, parents, you don't question your parents and all this shit, like everything that basically kept us from actually getting along. And largely was the reason we had so much abuse in terms of, of family relationships and whatnot, like beating your kids was a pretty typical thing 50 years ago, right? Even now to some degree. And it's largely because we identify to the point of being completely disconnected from our kids. We don't even recognize we're hurting ourselves. Yeah. And in society, we have so many of those situations, like things that we're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to love your family, blood's thicker than water. You're supposed to get married, have kids, whatever. All these things we're supposed to do or that we should do. And I think those words are kind of the the crux of most of the issues we experience as a society right now, because we have this idea of what society should be and all these things within it that should happen. Like you should 
love your family. You should be married by the time you're 30. You should have two to three kids by the time you're 35. Like all this fucked up bullshit that is completely made up. It's totally made up. But because we've taken these ideas and concepts in society, the societal blueprint as the truth, and we're just like, oh, it's just the way things are. It's like, no, it isn't. It doesn't have to be. It isn't actually the way things are. It's the way that we keep making things be. Like we keep creating the society as we go by trying to keep up the societal expectations that everyone kind of has for each other. Cause we all, you know, people give funny looks or wonder what's wrong with someone who doesn't fit the mold, even though trying to fit the mold has been the reason that that person has suffered their entire life. We keep it up because it's like we would rather fit in than be happy. We would rather fit in than be at peace, than enjoy our life because we put that idea of fitting in, of, of being a part of society, of fitting the mold above anything else. And so we, good. right? You remember yeah. that day you went to school and say, grade one, grade two, you went onto the playground, you didn't recognize anybody and you made your first friend. Then you made a few other friends and all of a sudden you were in a little group you fit in it was awesome you had like all of a sudden you're like yeah this is what life's all about this is great we don't understand that that's that's what that's what friendship feels like but fitting into society is different they're not your friends yeah right oh man i guess yeah that makes sense because then it's like we equated that feeling to a of genuine connection to fitting in and then so then we're like oh we always have to fit in or else god forbid we won't feel that anymore but it's kind of become a prison in itself well and then we actually made it more so with the history of warfare right because then it's not just like you know these are your friends your country's your friends but your country's also going to protect you so you got to protect it so you have a responsibility and nationalism comes right through the fucking door right and it's all based on that same that same urge to identify and fit into a group for safety and security and value, right? And it's that path of isolation that we're avoiding, despite the fact that, you know, standing on your own is what creates a society of responsible and aware adults. People who aren't always looking to others for an opinion, people who aren't always looking to others to do the thinking for them. That's what we need, right? But it's not something that society in any way promotes because it would make it much, much more difficult to run a government if everybody was constantly trying to think for themselves. Yeah, it makes it a whole lot easier when almost like people are just policing themselves. They are policing, not almost like they're policing themselves. They are policing themselves because we have this narrative that if you don't fit in, you're you know, an outcast, ostracized. You're not going to be accepted by everyone else. But ever, it's like, everyone's feeling that pull against that strange norm that we have to fit into, but simultaneously trying to fit into it and like making fun of people who don't because then they feel more connected because they're insecure and afraid. So oh, that's how they soothe it. It's rough, right? Because if you think about it, we get it from two ends. 
Okay, first, we have the beginning of the of the developmental cycle where we go right fitting in identification groups makes perfect sense i'm going to judge everybody else to give myself my sense myself a sense of value my daughter's going through this a lot right now with her friends and everybody in her age group right so there's that and then shortly after that you hit this this sweet spot where all of a sudden you you've grown up enough to recognize like wait a minute it's kind of all expectation i can think for myself and so you've got this opportunity to change but that starts to diminish over time you'll notice that it's the people who are really old that are often also judging the newer mentality that's coming out. And it's because they've gotten used to that mentality. They've actually settled on it over time. They're the ones still championing the mentality that they were thinking about in their 20s and their 30s. It's kind of like listening to Trump talk about the good old days in the 50s and 60s, right? And that's exactly where he wants to return the world is to that mentality from the 50s and the 60s. Right, because that's the way he sees the world. He's never changed with the world outside of being able to make, you know, take advantage of it in terms of social media and whatnot, but he still thinks the same way. So there's this sweet spot, somewhere between where we're too young and naive to recognize how selfish we are versus when we've been too lazy and, and irresponsible to recognize how, how, you know, how much damage we can do in general. And then you have this spot, spot in the middle that's trying to, to make change, but it's getting it from both ends. Like you grow up a smart kid, you get judged by all the kids around you who are just trying to be egotistical, right? You grow up to be a free thinking adult, you get judged by all the older adults who are telling you just fall in line, get a job, stop thinking, you know, life is about being happy. Why aren't you just settling in for a job until retirement like the rest of us? Like, you see what I mean? Like, we're always working against this egotistical mentality, whether it's from people who have stopped fighting it and just let it settle into their life. And so they're like, everybody else should do this too, or the people who are too young to know any better. Right. And so it's that that middle bit that's got to expand. And that's one of the reasons I like our demographic so very much here on Dualistic Unity, because we have a good spread between like 16 and like 55, <laughs> like admittedly, mostly it's between like, I think 24 and 40 ish. Right. But that's a good spread. Like that's a lot of people in a lot of different age ranges, all kind of having this conversation. That's encouraging to me. It means that one day the 16 and 17 year olds that are currently listening to this podcast are going to grow to be like 25, 30 years old. And they're going to run into one of the 50 year olds that's listening to this podcast when they're like 60, 65. And that person's not going to be telling them to go and get a job the way they, that they used to work. The environment is changing. Yeah, that's quite exciting. But that's, uh, that's interesting. You bring up that sort of sweet spot because it makes sense. And I think that's around the time people are able to sort of wake up to recognize that the idea of themselves that they've always thought isn't actually the truth of what they are because going from you know basically through your teenage years you kind of built some idea and it's kind of being reinforced in everything that you do and then once you're even like 35 45 50 60 70 80 like that idea is just becoming more and more solidified so it's like before it's solid but after it started there's an opportunity to to question it and it's not to say that it's it's a hard and fast line but it seems like at least in our society 
like after 22, after 18 to 22, like after you're done high school, done college, you're actually able to start. I think for a lot of people, because some, especially in the US, people go to college. So it's like up and through then you're kind of told what to do. And then so often we get to 22, 23, and we're told, all right, go get a job now. It's like, what the fuck? Everything I've done for the past 22 years has not prepared me to know what I want to do with the rest of my life. So you can start to get curious or, you know, you can just find something and hold on to that very tightly and say, oh, I was afraid of not knowing what I'm going to do, but here's this opportunity. And now I know, and now I'm fine and now I'm secure and now I'm safe and I can go back to, you know, not questioning anything, but it's through, I think that uncertainty when you're just kind of spit out of the machine at 22-ish years old, that you have the opportunity to be like, what the fuck is going on? What's going on? But then as you settle into a certain role in society, basically feeding the machine, being that stream of income that we all are, it's like as that continues to progress, there's less and less inclination to question. You know, you start getting some raises, getting some promotions. All of a sudden, you're a lot more comfortable so there's less reason to question as you become more comfortable, even if it's you know a false comfort, a false sense of certainty. It's still the only thing that you've sort of recognized in this society as being possible. It's just getting to you know that highest point of comfort, of sort of satisfaction, and being able to be as certain as as you can within a very uncertain reality. So that's that sweet spot is kind of interesting. I know we've, we've talked about that before, but it seems like it's kind of, you know, 22 to 28, 30-ish is probably the bulk of it. But obviously there's, you know, it's kind of probably like a normal curve. And it's like, doesn't mean you don't have an opportunity when you're 15. Doesn't mean you don't have an opportunity when you're 75. It's just theoretically becomes less and less likely the further from that sweet spot you get. Yeah, well, absolutely. Right. Because it, it's so interesting because the reality that we're a part of is very much influencing that sweet spot. Right. Like, so for older generations, for example, we were really, we were really drilled with the don't have that gap year. Right. Go through school and we got testing and stress and quizzes and the fear of the future and all that stuff right up until the end of high school. And then then they're even telling us like, don't skip it. You're not going to want to go back to school and you'll be a failure and you do all that. And so then we get into the workforce and we're going for that pension or we're going for the, you know, that, that job security and all that. And so that momentum of where you're just lost in the machine really does actually delay that period, that sweet spot, right? It's usually not until You've invested in a job for say like 20 years, had the illusion of security and then lost it, right? That all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, nothing's what I thought it was. And there's your sweet spot, right? And that's what happens in your 20s is that you get out of high school and you realize nobody gave a shit or nobody gives a shit that you're a jock. Nobody gives a shit that you were popular in grade, in grade 12. And all of a sudden your entire way of evaluating yourself gets blown out of the water. And so you have to ask yourself, well, Jesus, what is life all about? And that's where you have your sweet spot. That's when you start seeing that everybody's just been telling you that this is what life is all about. And you start to question it and you start to get a little pissed off. And normally what ends up happening, unfortunately, is that you kind of 
you know, rail against it for a bit. You, you say like, you got to change the world. You maybe you get involved with a few things, you know, like um, a couple of rallies or a couple of political movements to change the world. And then eventually you start to realize how big this fucking problem is and you find a job and find a way to bury your head in the sand because it just seems so big and you don't want to fight it for the rest of your life. So you may as well just settle for a job doing something that at least you're kind of passionate about. And that's, that's unfortunately the danger, right? Is that it's such a big problem that unless we're really aware of that sweet spot and really aware of how much potential goes with it as a resource, as a, as a species, because that's it. If we could recognize, holy shit, I'm in the, in the sweet spot. Let's keep this going because that sweet spot lasts as long as yourself is not more important than the environment you're a part of. Right? You just stop thinking about yourself and your need for security and you start recognizing what's happening around you. That's why a lot of teenagers, when they stop comparing themselves and being all the egotistical to the majority of the time, suddenly become aware of climate change. It's not like it wasn't there the whole time. It's just that their priorities were different. Right. The more we think of ourselves, the less we think can think, the less we can think of anybody else. It's kind of like what we were talking about in our review of Scrooge, which will be released later this week, just so everybody knows. Right. But that that's very much it. And so in that sweet spot, we have the ability to develop and explore selflessness. And as a result of that, really be selfish as a species in order to really take care of one another. As a, as a result of being selfless, but we don't see that as a resource. We don't see that as a strategy. We see that as something that, you know, just got to give them time. They'll, they'll fall into line. Like, and you'll hear that too. And I know it's funny, like going into your, in your early twenties, you start questioning all this. People call you a hippie or they call you, you know, an anarchist or anything like that. And they'll say, Oh, give yourself time. You know, the system will beat that shit out of you. And it's the funniest thing to hear. Like, it's a good thing. Like they're not listening to what they're saying. Like, don't worry the shackles will stop chafing eventually, right? And that's why when I released that video of me back in 2005, talking about all this stuff in my early 20s, I thought it was really funny that somebody wrote in quotes, yeah, talk to me in 20 years, because here I am 20 years later, still talking about it. And that's what I mean. You don't have to let go of that sweet spot. You don't have to get sucked into the machine. Sure, you have to work with it, but it doesn't have to crush your fucking soul. You don't have to give up on all of the work that is to be done just because it seems gigantic just one step at a time one bite at a time all you have to do is live your life the rest takes care of itself but don't give up yeah yeah especially i mean that's why i'm glad we're having this conversation just in general you know dualist community happening because it's a place for people to recognize that they don't have to give up that conversation that that state of questioning that recognition that oh things don't have to be this way oh there are ways to shift and and change reality as reality and so if you it's almost like if you give up it's not that you don't see the truth of of what you are but it's almost like it could be so overwhelming that you don't feel that faith in yourself or something like, hmm, I, I was going to ask if you think it's possible for someone to see things, you know, crystal clearly and run. And I think, yeah, definitely. Because it's so jarring and there's so much in our environment 
pulling us from that. It's almost like unbelievable when you see it, that it could be like the reality of what you are. It's because of the contrast, right? Absolutely. To the point where, again, I, I questioned my sanity. Like I, that was it. Like I was, I'm thinking about all this. I'm seeing it clearly, clearly as could be. And everybody around me is looking at me like I'm nuts. Right. And it's so hard at that point, not to question yourself and go, am I, you know, and, and, and it's what's, what's worse is that you're questioning yourself, seeing more clarity and that's making you appear even more nuts as a result, because you don't recognize the contrast is that the people who are judging you are judging you because they don't want to question anything. So they don't want you to question anything because that makes them uncomfortable and it invalidates their strategy for living, right? That's really important. It's funny because Celeste recently, she decided to tell her friends that she's taking a a break from social media. She's going to disconnect a a couple of different platforms and just just lay off. She got judged for it. Like, well, why? Why is that worth judging? Well, because I'm, I'm on social media. And if you're saying you're quitting, you're implying that I'm not doing something that's that's as good as what you're doing it's like nobody's saying that you're interpreting it that way (laughs) you're interpreting it that way so i'm going to pass this back to you andrew but i did want to say that uh we have a whole ton of questions that have been building up in the chat and we should get to them but before we do i'll let you finish off your thought yeah no i'm i'm good to get into questions like i think the only last thing is is the recognition like the core recognition being that you don't have to think about yourself and that you can see yourself as your environment. Like you're not actually losing anything besides the illusion, besides the veil that cuts you off from freedom. Cause I know it seems scary to think, Oh, well, if I'm not thinking about myself and I'm just seeing myself as my environment, like what if I get taken advantage of, or what if I, I lose my sanity or, or whatever. And it's like, give it a try, like give it a shot for a couple days. Just don't think about yourself so much. Recognize that you're as much your environment as you are this thing that you've always thought that you were, if not more so. So through letting go, you'll actually find significantly more freedom and you're still able to do all of the things that you've always done, just with more clarity, more appreciation, more enjoyment, because you're not so caught up in what it's going to mean about you because it never has, even when you thought that it did. And that's, that's the whole thing about promise, the promise of God or surrender or Eden or any of it, just let go. It really will work itself out, right? One way or another. We'll talk about that more in the future. Um, If anybody would like to have this discussion more in depth with us after this show, join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash dualistic unity. We're going to be having a tier two group for another hour and a half after this show where the conversations usually get a little bit deeper because we're able to explore them in more depth and you can be on the screen with us. So first question, and I saw this one go by and never got a chance to address it. Are black holes rooted in spirituality in some way? Do they have any special meaning given their unique properties in comparison with the rest of the stuff in the universe? So do you want to tackle this one first or shall I just give my thoughts quickly? Go for it. Okay. (laughs) The first thing is there's no such thing as spirituality. I just wanted to say that very quickly, that if black holes are symbolic or representative of anything, it's you, your awareness, your consciousness. It's something to do with you is what I'm saying. It's not a spiritual thing. 
in in that there is no spiritual thing like there is no division between body and spirit or, or reality and, and your mind like it's it's the same spectrum it's all you so that all said black holes are super interesting and i think it was einstein or, or hawking that said uh, black holes are where god divided by zero i thought that was kind of an interesting way of putting it right because it's just it's just the end of everything in terms of space and time right it's just everything's coming to a point of almost non-existence and we have problems rationalizing what the hell is that but i think what we're looking at is is kind of it's interesting i i'm not i'm not sure how to word this like if we were to look at the lack of space and time as the void that is reality then maybe a black hole is kind of like looking at reality but from the three-dimensional perspective so our our brain just can't fathom it like light everything just kind of gets crushed down to nothing because it doesn't actually exist so could this experience that we're having right now be no different than being in a black hole or are we could we very easily be in a black hole right now and it's just our perception of how things are that's convincing us that that we're not we have the perception of 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 light and gravity and time and space and all of that fun stuff but it's all perception right so yeah i make i it makes you kind of wonder if like a black hole is almost like a representation of the waking world like if you were in a dream and there was some symbol that that you know represented what's beyond the reality that you're creating in your dream might be a black hole kind of curious yeah definitely definitely makes me curious of that like it's almost looking at the infinite potential without any like it's just raw potential without anything being because as soon as something is then it isn't infinite potential or it isn't perceived as infinite potential it's like how we would create a representation of infinite potential is just like nothingness blackness but able to be not even possibly anything right it's not yeah. even blackness because blackness yeah. is a comparison to light like we're still thinking dualistically there yeah right like that's the funny thing about it so yeah maybe that's the reason that black holes for example have so much potential energy is because they're reaching back not even back but they're reaching through to reality which is nothing but limitless potential somebody was asking me about this on, on instagram the other day like okay so if it doesn't have any space and time where is it well nowhere <laughs> that's the point like it doesn't it doesn't actually exist in reality and he's like so it's limitless and like it doesn't even apply like the word limitless doesn't even apply it implies that there could be a limit like there's an outside to it somewhere it's not how it works like all of our words just fall short they don't make any sense outside of a three-dimensional dualistic experience right and so yeah that's a great question about black holes yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing to thing to discuss. I haven't really looked into black holes a whole lot or just space in general, but I mean, who's to say that it isn't just kind of not even portal, but just the perception. I can't even put in, you can't even like put it 
into words. I was going to say like the perception between this universe and another universe, but if, if there's no division between them, then what's saying that it's universe one versus universe two. Exactly. And what if all the black holes just go back to feed the multiple big bangs? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like that's the whole point. Like maybe it's that that's the thing. Like we keep looking at the universe expanding, but we're not looking at all these kind of drains <laughs> and they're bringing things back to where the universe, you know, quote unquote started. So it makes sense. Like I've often in psychedelic trips envisioned reality very much being kind of like this giant whirlwind of potential that feeds itself and pushes itself back out so it's this constant thing and that's exactly kind of how i see the universe and it would make sense about you know black holes for sure hawking i think it was who was uh, he was theorizing that, that that there might there might and almost must be white holes where all of this you know would manifest and, and that's what made me think like maybe that's the big bang or a big bang you know, that's another thing we keep making the mistake of saying the Big Bang, right? In any reality you're a part of, you'd call it the Big Bang. In the same way on any planet that you'd live on, you'd call it Earth. Yeah, right? It, it makes me wonder with black holes if it's almost like, say you have a, a pond with, I guess you could say rain, but there's there's like a drain at the bottom. And then as it's draining out, there's rain coming down. It's like the water draining out is the rain coming down. And if that's like, you know, there's 10 black holes, then it's like five of them are the drains, and then five of them are the rain coming down. And so it's not even that it's going anywhere else, just coming back here to just reality, to infinite potential, because there's not, you know, space is infinite. There's no bounds to it. It's not like it's secluded or separate from anything else so is it not always just feeding back into itself basically makes perfect sense right absolutely but then we have to let go of the idea of time right because again like we experience time in a three-dimensional universe and a black hole would render that experience different time would change and actually interstellar was a really good movie uh for showing that how based on the different proximities they were to the black hole basically uh, based on gravity as well the experience of time was totally different right this is another thing we we're talking about the speed of light and the fact that like a photon traveling at the speed of light doesn't experience time right from the moment it left to the moment it arrived nothing happened for the photon <laughs> at all it's always been in every point along the way which is mind-blowing in itself, but we're looking at the same phenomenon there. See, where it's interesting, we keep looking at the same reality that space and time don't exist, just the experience of three-dimensionality, which requires time. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, one would have to wonder if a black hole was us looking into our collective awareness, like just into the dream itself. It's, it's a great point. It's really interesting. And again, there's no way for us to know at the moment, but as far as I'm, as I'm concerned, as I was saying to our original questioner, it's, it symbolizes you, something about you and your vast potential. It's definitely about you. It's not a spiritual thing. Exactly. Interstellar. That could be a decent movie review. It will be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good one. Um,
All right. You got anything else on black holes? Otherwise, no, nope, I'm good on black holes. We have All a right. question from Murky Mark. Would really like some advice on how to work through anxiety and how to tame it. Andrew. Stop trying to tame it. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, so I think when it comes to anxiety, it can, you know, manifest in a bunch of different forms. It's like just this broad term that we have, but a lot of times it's rooted around the fear of what's to come. You know, it's, it's typically more future focused as opposed to something like regret or depression is past focused, um, just generalizing here. But I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways to take anxiety. And first of all, anxiety isn't actually a thing. Anxiety is just a word that we label a certain feeling. And because society has given anxiety this negative connotation or the feeling that we associate with anxiety, a very negative connotation, we think that we shouldn't feel it. And so when we do feel it, we're like, I don't want to feel this. This is uncomfortable. And therefore, because it's uncomfortable, it's bad. It's wrong. I want to, and that's why we say things like, I want to tame my anxiety. But what if, hypothetically speaking, when you did feel this anxiety, you didn't think of it as bad. You just thought of it as a thing that you felt that maybe it's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but it's not a bad thing. It just is what it is. And so Therefore, you stop trying to tame it because you no longer thought of it as something you have to get rid of or you need to tame or you need to suppress because that desire to tame it, suppress it, get rid of it is what keeps it around. All of that attention that you're giving to it through feeling it, being like, I don't like that. I want to get rid of that. It's giving it a lot of attention. And because you're resisting it, it's sticking around. You know, what you resist persists. And so another layer beyond that is recognizing that whatever you are worried, anxious, nervous about happening in the future, the reason that you're worrying about that event happening is because you have this idea that it's bad. You have an idea that you know the thing happening in the future is objectively a bad thing. There is no possible way that that event could ever lead to something good. And the reality is that you don't know. You don't know what that event is actually going to lead to. It could be that that thing you're getting anxious about or worried about or nervous about or the thing that you're worried about happening in you know five minutes or five days or five months, you don't know what it's going to lead to. You don't actually know if that is an objectively bad thing. And it could be that that event leads you down a path that is significantly more beneficial to your life than the thing that you're hoping that happens, you know, the thing you're not worried about happening, the best case scenario for that situation could lead you down a path that's not as great for your life. The reality is that you don't know. So relaxing into that recognition that every anything that happens beyond this moment right now, you don't actually know if it's good, if it's bad, what it's going to lead to, where it's going to take you, what path it's going to lead you down. And you realize that, that thing you're so anxious about happening could actually be the best thing that's ever happened to you, could be significantly better than the thing that you're hoping happens. All of a sudden you're like, well, shit, what do I do? It's like, 
do your best, do what you can, prepare to the degree that you feel comfortable preparing and then see what happens. And, and knowing that you don't know where it's going to go or where it's going to lead, but the feeling itself, when you're feeling it, remember that it's not objectively a bad thing and your resistance to it, your desire to tame it is only going to keep it around longer. So you can be anxious, nervous, worried about something or feel those feelings and still do all the things that you're doing in your day-to-day life, but it's your labeling of it, saying that it's a bad thing, saying that it's wrong to feel that causes it to stick around even longer. So letting go of that label of that desire to get rid of it will actually allow it to pass through you significantly more quickly. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I I think if I was going to weigh in with any advice whatsoever, I'd say that there is uh, a surprising amount of value in contemplating what life would be like if all of your fears happened. It can help. Just sit, think about all your, your anxieties, the absolute worst of it. You know, you lost your job, you lost your wife, you, you lost your house, you're homeless. All of that happens, let's just say. And now let's get over the initial shock of that happening. Let's get over the obvious uh, repercussions in terms of how it changes your lifestyle. And we'll even fast forward a few months so that way we've skipped all of the self-pity that's going to go with that change in, in your environment because again all of the things you're anxious about have happened so there's going to be a period of adjustment and it's going to suck and then after that you're kind of going to get used to your your, your new environment you're going to get used to the way your life is now regardless of how hard that might be and you're going to start looking at opportunities and you're going to start seeing that there's potential to build yourself back up to build another life again to start however slowly from the ground floor recreating something from yourself and you're going to be armed with all of the lessons you learned through losing everything through all of the things that you were anxious about actually happening and what it's going to teach you is that your anxiety actually made it harder for you to efficiently deal with your life as it fell to shit so through all of that happening what you're going to find out is that your anxiety didn't make a difference except to your ability to handle things as it fell apart you still have the ability to handle things even now after they've fallen apart. So if it, has to, if it has to be that you have to go through all of that to recognize that anxiety is just getting in the way of you expressing your potential, then that's the way it's going to be. Or you could practice that exercise in your head right now. Recognize that you could lose everything. Start over and still make a life for you that is fulfilling and still expresses your potential. might take some time but you're always going to learn more from it the anxiety sucks but that doesn't mean that something bad is actually going to happen right and it's important to remember that and sometimes the best way to remember that is to remember that even if it did happen you would be okay you'd make it work eventually yeah absolutely there's a there's a follow-up curious um what if you're anxious about something physical rooted in shame what if you're anxious about stuff like peeping puking in public, having stomach issues, or a million examples, how can that be a good thing? You have any initial thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Because one of my earliest uh, embarrassing moments was me puking in public. 
I was in uh, I was in grade two, grade two or three. And I remember very clearly sitting in class and everybody's doing their homework and you have the stars and everybody's, you know, all the letters and stuff at the front of the class. I was in grade two or three. So it was like grade school. And my stomach was really bothering me. And I went, oh, you know, can I use the bathroom? Because I was a kid. I'm like, can I use the bathroom? I'm asking for permission. As an adult, I would have just got up and left. But I'm actually sitting there feeling like I'm going to puke, asking for the teacher, like, can I go and address them? Why am I doing that? Anyway, so I got up after the teacher finally recognized I was turning green. And I ended up just hurling just all over a bunch of other students' desks on my way out of the classroom. And so... I understand that that fear and and to some degree, I mean, it's always going to linger there because it was such an old fear for me. Right. But I would say that in that case, perhaps it's not so much a fear so much as a consideration that maybe you have a delicate stomach or, or, or perhaps just a consideration for the fact that that, you know, this is something that's part of your life. Like, for example, I have glaucoma. Eye pain is a pretty regular thing for me. And as such, I take extra considerations. Right. There are things that I do in order to make sure that I'm going to be okay if I have to go out in public. There are things that I do that that to make sure I'm going to be okay if I have to go to a higher elevation, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So with the stomach as well, it's you do the best you can to address it, but don't do it out of fear. Right. Like if you're if you're going to vomit, you're going to vomit. People vomit. You can't judge yourself for being a physical being. Right. Doesn't mean other people aren't going to judge you, but if they've ever had a stomach problem where they have vomited, they're not going to judge you. See what I'm saying? So it's not like the judgment actually has anything to do with reality. It always comes from our own personal biases, right? Like if I judge myself for vomiting in public, I'm going to judge you for vomiting in public. Whereas if I vomited in public and wanted people to not judge me, I'm not going to judge you for vomiting in public. So it really has nothing to do with us, everything to do with you at the end of the day. Take care of yourself. Stop worrying about what we think of you right? But do take care of your stomach. I mean that. Take care of your stomach because vomiting is not fun. Nobody likes to do it. I get that. But that should be your biggest concern. Vomiting is not fun and nobody likes to do it. Yeah, definitely. And now see Ray's experience made for a funny story on a podcast episode now. So, you know, it's not all bad, but yeah, I had a similar experience. It wasn't that it was noticeable, but yeah, in first grade, I had so a similar time period. I was super afraid of uh, shitting at school. And so instead, shit my pants because that's so much better than shitting on a toilet with someone potentially in the bathroom with you because you're afraid of fucking like making noise when you fart. So it's so much better to just sit there in computer class and shit your pants and then spend the rest of the day with shit in your pants and not address it at all. And just be too embarrassed to even do anything about it. Take the bus home two hours later and get home <laughs> to your mom being like, what's that smell? Like, I pooped in my pants <laughs> when I was fucking six years old, I think. Um, so, yeah, not not to say that that should qualm anyone's fear of it, but it's just it's something that happens, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything about you. And I think there's an opportunity of, you know, letting go of that concern because either you let go of it or you don't, and you can live your life very, very concerned about what everyone thinks of you and, and perceive their judgments to be all about you, or you can let go of that, live your life for you, prioritize yourself as opposed to 
what everyone thinks about you all the time and realize that their opinion of you oftentimes, as Ray said, comes back to their own perception of reality. Always comes back. To it always own. comes back to their own. Always, always. I can't tell you how freeing that is to know. And I mean that to everybody who's listening right now. Nobody sees you. Nobody is really looking at you except through themselves. Understand that. Like there's great freedom in knowing this, that you're never going to be approved of, except when people are in a state of mind looking through themselves to appreciate what you've done. See, it's not about what you've done. It's about their capacity to appreciate what you've done. So there's no way to evaluate yourself based on other people's perception because they're never looking at you. They're always looking at themselves first. So if you know that, you should never fear judgment because it's not actually about you. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't take it in. Understand, like life is a rich experience in terms of being aware of the infinite perceptions that exist. And they're all informative. They all expand your context. They all expand your awareness. So listen when people are judging you. Just don't listen like it's truth. It's their perception. It's based on a certain bias. It's based on a certain perception of themselves. And if you know that, you might actually learn a bit, not only about the perception, but where it's rooted and the consequence it's having, even in that person's relationship with you in that very brief moment. There's information there. There's something to learn there. Absolutely. Yeah, there's some sort of saying like people can only meet you as deeply as they meet themselves. And so if someone is very caught up in the idea of himself being the truth and living based on how everyone perceives that idea to be, they're going to see everyone else as an idea inherently separate from them. But it's funny because as you let go more and more of that idea and start to see yourself as just reality just what is beyond the concept, beyond the mask, beyond the story, beyond the idea. You still see everyone in the same way based on the level that you see yourself. So you start to see everyone as yourself. And so you're no, you're still not seeing the idea of them. It's like everyone is a mirror. And so if they're seeing themselves as an idea, as a mask, they're going to see you as an idea as a mask. So they're never actually seeing what's beyond the mask unless they're seeing themselves beyond the mask because then they're going to see themselves beyond the mask in you as them. And then they're not judging you. Exactly. And then there's no more space for that judgment. So regardless, people are always seeing you as they see themselves. It's always a mirror, whether they see the truth of what closer to the truth of what they are or they're very much caught up in illusions. They're not seeing you. <laughs> and this goes back to another topic that was brought up in our Patreon call. The expression, one should always tell the truth. Curious about your thoughts, Andrew. Oh boy. All right. Um, uh, so I think, I mean, nothing's ever black and white. I think there's always going to be nuance. I think leaning towards, I guess it depends, like what you want to deal with. 
So mm, thinking about in a situation, like we've talked about examples like this, where someone asks you, you know, does this dress look good on me or something? And, and you don't think it does. So the you have the opportunity to say yes and lie or no and tell the truth and both have potential consequences and potential, you know, there's pros and cons to both, basically. And so I guess it's dependent on, a lot of it depends on how much concern you have for the perception of other people and how much their judgment dictates how you feel about yourself and how willing you are to be seen as the villain, but actually be helpful. So in that situation where someone asks, you know, does this dress look good on me? And you don't think it does. So you say, no, that person's probably not going to feel great about that in the moment. But if it's a really fucking hideous dress, you may be saving them in the long term from potential judgments from other people. And I say saving them as if it's like actually saving them from anything, if it's just the, the judgments. But I guess there isn't necessarily a right answer. Like it's not written into reality. You should always tell the truth. It's just what you're willing to deal with in response to what you do. Yeah, it's definitely a consideration. <laughs> I mean, especially in terms of the, the dress thing, right? Like you want to tell the truth. But what does that mean exactly? You mean your truth? Is that the truth? Right? If they're uh, to say like, you know, yeah. does, does this dress look good on me? And you say no, according to my opinion. And then they change when the dress actually did look good and your, your opinion sucks. And it's based on your own biases. See what I'm saying? Like, so whose truth are you telling? What do we mean by the truth? And this is why it's so important to say something like, all I can do is give you my opinion, right? Because that's, that's different. That's not the truth. It's your perspective, right? And that's it. It's, it's not that we're ever telling truth so much as we're just being open, right? Honesty and truth aren't necessarily the same thing, right? Because truth is what is. The truth is reality. We can't ever really tell the truth. It's too big. But we can be honest about our perspective. We can be honest about where we're coming from. We can be, uh, we can communicate, right? So I think that that's the case. And so going back to the, the dress conversation, for example, um, do you think I look good in this dress? You can say, honestly, I don't know. From my perspective, I don't think necessarily that's the best dress, but what do I know? You know, and that's kind of the point is you're still giving them that free, that leeway to make the choice on their own, right? And you're giving your opinion, but not saying it's the truth. You're not like, because I think this, therefore that dress sucks, right? And that's, that's the danger, right? And so when we say, you know, always tell the truth, what do we mean? For me, it means avoid falsehood. That's pretty much it because you're never going to tell the truth. We've talked about this for three seasons. There's no way to verbalize the truth, but you can at least be honest and authentic. 
you can reduce the distortion that you create through trying to people please and things like that. So I think just like when somebody was saying like, well, what's reality? Define reality. And the answer is, well, it's honestly easier to define what reality is not. Right. Same with telling the truth. It's easier to just not tell false. It's easier to not tell falsehoods than to work on trying to tell the truth. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Cause yeah, even if someone, you know, say you're a little kid and you stole a cookie and blamed it on your brother or something, and then your parent comes up and says, Did you did you steal a cookie? It, it's not that saying yes is telling the truth, it's just talking being honest about a situation. So yeah, truth truth is a overview that one shit is it stealing if it's from you mom <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right like it it depends on it's very situational it's like Define if you cookie. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> uh, like if you took yeah if you took 98 percent of it does that count as a cookie well i stole a piece you just happen to leave a crumb there like <laughs> That makes, yeah, that's funny. I guess it's all in flux, all questionable, but yeah, based on, truth. yeah, right, that's why I just be honest. There we go. All right. Fair enough. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed that question. I just want to say to the questioner, thank you for throwing that one in there because it had me chewing on it for the last day. I was like, that's such, such a good question. Can you tell the truth? Right. Because truth, you know, is, is, not what we tend to think it is you know it's it's kind of like I mean, what is reality <laughs> there's no way to answer that like which part would you like me to focus on the physical or the subjective because there's a lot in that question right and so yeah it really it got me thinking and then made me have again kind of an of an epiphany it's not that we're trying to tell the truth so much as just trying not to lie right like this is the same thing with uh, and this is something that's very true like Disclosure. Disclosure is a very powerful thing. If somebody is going through something and you can relate to them in any way, shape, or form through disclosing something about your life that you've gone through, that will almost immediately create a bridge, right? And that person will be able to relate to you and the communication can deepen from there. But in order to create that bridge, you have to disclose certain things about yourself, which can be uncomfortable in general, because especially if you're a private kind of person, right, and you don't want things getting out into the world, and so on and so forth. And so I've had coaching clients talk to me about this, not not clients who came in for coaching, but coaches who were clients and asking me about coaching. And they were saying that they felt bad that they weren't disclosing everything that they were giving some examples, but they were leaving out this now I didn't tell them about what happened afterwards. I didn't tell them about this. the whole thing is, is that you didn't lie to them. You just omitted certain details that weren't relevant. That's not adding falsehood. Unless it's an important detail that would have changed the entire story, in which case, maybe that's important, right? But just because you're not telling everybody everything, that doesn't mean that you're not being honest and open with people. You're talking about details. That has nothing to do with being open. Being open is you as a person. Being vulnerable not putting up walls, not needing to protect yourself, not being afraid of judgment, that, that's being open. 
it's not telling people every single detail about your life. And people go through that at a certain phase in spirituality or, or a, awakening or whatever you want to call it. All of a sudden they're like, if I'm not telling everybody everything, then I'm not being open. And they start telling you that the things you don't want to hear, like what they're doing in their private life. And I had this one guy telling me about, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the point being is that there are certain things that all of a sudden you're like, oh, I keep this secret. Therefore, I'm not being open. So I need to tell everybody about what I do behind closed doors. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't, you don't need to do that at all because you're doing it behind closed doors. Unless you're doing it in public, you know, that's a different thing. In which case, yeah, you should probably be honest about that because we all know you're in public, right? That's, own, that's your own denial, that kind of thing, right? But it, it's just the most interesting thing at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think over time, like people will get concerned with, Oh, am I, am I telling enough of the truth? Am I, am I lying? It's like, you kind of build a sensitivity to it and it helps to realize that there isn't, you know, an objective wrong. Like you're not fucking going to hell. If you lie, it's like, you're the one who's going to suffer through getting too caught up in that. Like you're creating your own hell right now doing so it's not that you're going to die and then burn in it like you're going to experience it right now and i've known a couple like compulsive liars who build a habit of lying and they're suffering like they are struggling so hard but it's like they create this prison for themselves and they don't even know how to get out and so they just keep doing it and it like deepens it it's like they're creating their own hell for themselves and coming clean almost like they don't even see it as an option at a certain point. Then you know, it's like first time is so hard. Just the first time of being honest after years of lying, of building a web and a web and a web, because that one first bit of honesty is going to destroy that web. It's going to shake the whole thing. Yeah. Cause they're all kind of like, it's like a house of cards. Basically they're all set on each other. And as soon as you tell the truth once, all comes tumbling down, but then, you know, you're, you're free from it. It's like a house of cards. That's a prison. It's like a prison of cards or something like, and then, and then it's like, you let it go, but yeah, it all comes crumbling down. And then you have to probably experience some repercussions to all of that. And maybe some relationships fall out, but like those, if those relationships are based off of a bunch of lies anyway, like what good is it really doing to keep them the way they are? Yeah, and this is it. And I want to mention very quickly to our listener, we have an authentic coaching workshop coming up in January, January 14th and 15th. And as much as we say it's authentic coaching, so if you want to, if you're a coach or if you're a therapist or if you're in any degree of a job that where you have to help people and be there for them, this is going to be ideal for you. But it's also ideal for anybody who just wants to work on their relationships. It's not just about coaching because Every relationship is kind of a coaching relationship if you look at it for what it should be, because a coaching relationship shouldn't be one person who knows more than the other person and, and telling them what to do. That is not a coaching relationship, despite the fact that that's often what happens. A coaching relationship is an actual connection between people, people who can relate that they're both in life together, doing their own journey, sure, but they're, they're holding each other accountable. They're encouraging each other. They're sharing insights. They're sharing victories. That's what a coaching relationship is supposed to be. Ideally, it should go both ways to some degree, especially in a relationship, right? And so this workshop's going to be about being authentic. 
which means that if you are in a relationship where you don't want to tell your partner something, or you decided you want to change career and you don't know how to express that, or you have friends that, you know, wouldn't approve of a certain thing that you do or a certain conversation that you have, like dualistic unity, for example, like if this is something that you're struggling with, this is the perfect workshop for you, because we're going to talk about the cost of not being authentic. We're going to talk about some of the benefits of being authentic and the transition period that comes from leaving the world of inauthenticity, of trying to be what everybody wants you to be, to being yourself, because there is a transition period and you don't want to go from one place to scorched earth to grow everything over again. If you can avoid it, you really can go through that transition with a certain degree of grace, with a certain degree of patience and an understanding of what is happening. Because you'll notice as soon as you stop trying to people please, the people that were dependent on you pleasing them will suddenly get fairly angry. And that is part of that transition. And there are ways for you to actually navigate that without necessarily burning all those bridges. Some of them are going to get burnt as you change, and that's up to those people. They're protecting themselves and their way of life, and you can't judge them for it, but there is a way to soften a lot of that process, and we're going to be covering it in this workshop. So tickets are available on the website right now. Yeah, that one. That one's going to be a lot of fun, and as you said, just applicable to anyone in any situation. It's labeled as authentic coaching, but it's almost just authentic living. <laughs> in a sense and and that's where freedom is found in the authenticity and the recognition that you don't ever have to be anything other than what you are you know like uh kung fu panda our recent movie review there is no secret ingredient there's nothing you have to be other than what you are and there's so much freedom in that recognition and uh it reminds me of our conversation we were getting into yesterday about the flow of reality and how we're always in the flow we've always been in the flow could it be that it's just our perception that we're not and our clarity that we are or we aren't that dictates how we do things moving forward but it's that we've always been in it which just like trips me the fuck out it's like it's like a paradox that you can't even put into words almost, but it's because it's so it's seamless. There's no disconnect between you can't be out of the flow, but there's the perception that you're out of it, which distorts which it. all of it. Yeah. So like you're always changing the flow based on your perception of whether or not you think you're in the flow. And that would be why uh, episode four of season four is actually only about an hour long. And it's because we went down that rabbit hole and it was interesting because we tackled it once and then it was, and I watched it happen. I watched us tackle this paradox. And then our, both of our minds just bounced into almost like a, a more superficial topic out of like self-protection. It was the weirdest thing. I actually call it during the episode. I'm like, hold on, we got to go back. Cause we totally ended up like leaving that subject somehow. And that's the thing is that you get deeper and deeper and deeper and your brain's just going like, I don't, I don't like this lack of certainty. I don't like the fact that I'm, I feel like I'm turning in, I'm turning myself inside out here. And that's kind of what it feels like, right? You're exploring that, that paradox. And the more you do it, the, the more you get out of the way and allow it to happen, 
the clearer it gets. And it's it's really quite trippy and it gets tied in all the other insights about black holes and dreams and reality and all of this other fun stuff. Like it's it's crazy. It's gonna be a good episode for everybody who's listening. The episode is not online yet because I still have to finish editing it, but it will be online for tomorrow. You will be able to catch it. It's a doozy. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of insights I've had before about the recognition that nothing's ever wrong. You know, nothing is ever wrong with our situation. Nothing's ever wrong with you besides, you know, thinking that there is something wrong with you or there is something wrong with your situation. So when you recognize that there's never been anything wrong and you just are where you are because you're always where you are and you're always what you are in every situation, like you can't not be what you are. You can't not be where you are. So you can perceive that you aren't where you should be or that you should be somewhere else or should be something else, but you you can never be that because you're always just it. You but can't, I don't know that. You can't be the thing that you think you should be ever, ever. Because as soon as you're it, you're not thinking you should be it because then you're just it. Ah, oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> I have to say, I'm really enjoying how much you are enjoying the paradox because this is the stuff that that really gets me going, man. Like, I, I swear it's it's that where you start recognizing nothing's as simple as we'd like it to be. Nothing is black and white like we would like it to be. And that's where life becomes fun. And that's honestly, that's where we start seeing, oh, 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 and that's why I like that part in uh, Gospel of Thomas where he's like, you know, seek and you shall find. And when you find you, you know, you'll be upset and then you'll marvel. But first he says, you'll be upset, <laughs> which is exactly the point you do. You get through this phase where you're just like, oh, oh. and it's kind of like you've been playing. Like, imagine you're out with your with your buddies and they're teaching you to play football and you've never played. And for like three quarters of the game you're not actually playing football. You're doing things all wrong. You're playing a different game entirely. Everybody's kind of playing around you, kind of like making you feel better, but you're not even in the game. And then all of a sudden you go, oh shit, there's like a quarter of the game left. I just figured out how to find, follow the fucking rules, right? That's kind of what it feels like when you wake up. You're just like, hold on. All this time I've invested in this idea of, no, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just letting that settle in until it's funny. Let that settle in until it's funny. Don't get all out of whack until that's funny. Yeah, there is there is a sort of initial almost sadness, frustration, anger with that, but it's like it can soon become just utter utter freedom or it's almost like initially it's like holy shit i'm free it's like then it in that freedom you're not thinking about yourself and then it swings back you start thinking about yourself you recognize the freedom but then you're thinking about how long you spent not being free so anytime you're frustrated or angry about where you're at you're thinking about yourself anytime is it any time? Pretty much. Fuck. I think it's just minimized by how, how much you take it seriously or how little you take it seriously. Like the brain's always conceptualizing. Whenever you think of yourself, 
you are, are removing yourself from the moment, but how seriously you take yourself is what contributes, contributes to that distortion. I can think of myself in, in a situation in terms of identifying with my name and, and interacting with people based on their mentality. And so there's a level of division. I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. This is how this interaction is happening. But at no point do I convince myself that's the reality of what's happening, right? At no point do I convince myself my name is actually Ray and I am actually separate from these people, right? I really do see every conversation as like a firing of two neurons, uh, of two neurons. Like to me, we are all just synapses. And as we communicate with one another, it's just thoughts floating around our, our awareness, my awareness. That's all it is. And that's honestly how I see communication. Even this right now, like it's, it's cool to me because like we're fucking distant synapses and we're firing back and forth, right? And that's the internet. The internet is that symbolism of us connect, connecting more synapses, right? And look at the rate of change now. Look at how fast we're growing. Yeah, it's interesting the with social media and like the complaint that people have is is that oh it's connecting us but it's actually you know not connecting us or disconnecting us and so it's it's like that perception of how we see it and being able to utilize or even recognize that there isn't there doesn't necessarily have to be an importance placed upon the closer synapses it's like in person versus online is just a subjective idea and it's based on your perception as to whether or not you think there's a better or a worse situation to be in or, or perspective to have like it always comes back to your perception of it and everyone likes to say like oh you know facebook you have what, 1,500 friends or whatever on Facebook, how many of those people do you actually know? You have like, you know, a bunch of people you follow and follow you on social media. And it's like, how many people do you actually know? And it's it's like, there's a judgment that comes with that. And I think it's from older generations, typically through that, what we talked about earlier, like that inability to let go of what they know. They're like, oh, in-person connection, objectively better. Says who? That's not written in any reality rule book, as far as I'm concerned. Just your perception. There's a lot of people who could find a lot of solace and, and enjoyment in connections online and conversations they're able to have because of that, because you know, the synapses closer to them are very disconnected from reality or from what's going on around them. And so to think that that's always objectively better to have that connection in person when you're able to connect more deeply with someone through the internet, it's like, it's worth questioning. Like with everything, there is no objective truth to settle upon. It always comes down to your perspective. Yeah. And what's interesting about the internet, this is the thing that gets me. The internet isn't the problem. Our ego is the problem, right? Because you and I, talk every week, several times a week. The dualistic unity community chats all the time, back and forth. Nobody's pretending to be something they're not. Nobody's cherry picking photos of look how happy I am enjoying the present moment, <laughs> right? Nobody is trying to show off like, oh, I've meditated six hours today. Like 
None of that is in those conversations. Well, what happened to the social media being such an evil that made us so superficial? We are superficial. We're just using super, uh, social media as a tool to facilitate that superficiality, right? And this is why I think it's really funny that people who, from older generations, they're like, oh, you're not, you don't really have uh, any relationships. It's like, neither did you. Like the relationships you had were often based on the same egotism that you're reflecting right now, in which case you were only friends with people who agreed with you. Right? And the only reason you don't like this is because you have way more exposure to people who don't agree with you. If you're like, oh, this is terrible. Look at all these people with their opinions. Right? And so that's the point is that the internet's not a bad thing. It's us and our ego that take advantage of it and make it a shit show instead of a tool. Right? That's the whole point. Like Elon bought Twitter for his own ego, let's just say straight up. But you know, he, he's like, oh, how can we improve this and, and all that? It's like, I, I don't know, get people to participate in it more than just the CEOs and the market and the companies that are paying you for advertising space. But we can't do that because we live in a capitalistic system. Right. How would we keep Twitter going if not for all of this money? Right. And that's that's what I mean. Like we can't take advantage of the Internet to the best of our ability to grow and have insight so long as so much of our mentality is still steeped in ego and the need for money, right? Like that's the whole thing. Like the internet would be an incredible tool. Could you imagine the internet in a world that wasn't trying to make money off of everybody? Yeah, right. There's so much, so much opportunity to share and connect and, you know, help people in so many different ways and, and create a community that you don't have access to in your immediate environment. And I mean, that's pretty much what we're doing with dual systems. Could you imagine like just universities, yeah. things like that? Like there's already uh, online classes that people, people can take. I think it's called edX or something like that. If you look it up online, you're going to find different universities like, uh, like Yale and Harvard and Oxford and all kinds of other universities that offer free programs that you can register for online and you actually put them on your resume as courses that you've taken from a legitimate university and they're free, right? Why can't we do that with the rest of it? Why can't we just do that and figure out how to facilitate that, right? It's because our schooling system is a business and that's what makes it hard, right? But it's just the same thing. It's just like, it's just like social media. The schooling system could be a boon to mankind if you took the operating at a business level out of it right social media the same thing the internet same thing take money out of it take greed out of it take it like all this power structure out of it just let it be a tool for humanity oh what about the dark web also run by money just saying yeah and, and people can't even comprehend how the, all of that would work without being in a capitalistic society and it's it's that's why it's so important to recognize that it has to come through our shift in mentality. It's not something that's going to be forced, you know, someone coming in and saying like, we got to change this and do it this way. And it's like, if everyone's still super fucking egotistical, it's just going to become that again, everything's just a reflection of our mentality. So you, we can't come in and try and, you know, be bringing like a communist dictator and change everything and, and 
equalize everything. It's like, it's got to come from within us, from us recognizing that we don't need as much as we once thought that we are value isn't predicated upon how much money is in our bank account or what kind of car we drive. Like recognizing that our value is unwavering, that it doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. Like we have to be able to recognize that in ourselves. And then the ways that society will shift will become obvious. It'll happen naturally almost because everyone's recognizing that and they're seeing themselves and everyone else. So they're just trying to help themselves. So we're still being selfish in the sense that we're helping ourselves as as reality as everyone else because we are our environment and even from the more finite localized selfishness it's when you recognize that you're still existing in your environment you can shift that too and that'll make your life a lot more enjoyable there's so many things about that it doesn't have to just be about making your life as comfortable as possible because you're everyone and the suffering you experience is, is to a degree based upon the overarching mentality that our society embodies. So it, it's got to come from within you, though. Can't come from changing everything else. It's just like our conversation about cancer. And I want to say to anybody who hasn't caught that episode yet, please go and check it out. Community Topics number 17. It's all about the topic of cancer, we'd love to hear your feedback because we really did do our best to discuss it in a way that was useful and without making too many assumptions that that was at least applicable. But a large part of what we were talking about there is the fact that we as a, as a society can't really tackle cancer because cancer within our society is a result largely of our societal mentality. And so it comes down to each of us addressing our own stress, each of us addressing our own imbalances and changing the society that is creating the imbalance that's creating, that's exacerbating the imbalance within our bodies as well. And so it's this whole thing, like we can't make society change us. We have to change and society changes as a result, right? But we just want the government to make a rule that just fixes all this, damn it, so I can buy my next iPad. Uh, yeah, it's gotta, gotta come from within, but in order to do that, we gotta be able to take responsibility for the reality that we are, you're it, you are reality, you are the world, you are the system. People don't like hearing that, but you are the system, but there's a lot of empowering understanding that comes from that too, because everything you do does shift it. Even if you can't recognize it, even if you feel like you're so infinitesimally small, it does fix it. It does echo throughout the entire system. You know, a ripple in a pond, it keeps going. Even if it feels, looks really tiny by the time it gets to the edge, it's still rippling. It still echoes throughout the entire thing. So as you change, as you shift, as you begin to see things differently and recognize the wholeness and completeness that you've always been, it's going to have an impact, even if you can't see it as clearly right now. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And I say this from even my own life. 20 years ago, waking up and, and going like, oh, we got, we got to change things. And then recognizing, oh, wait, no, it's me. Oh, no. Right. That was all the result of all the ripples that led me to that point. Like, I'll, I'll never forget. I remember uh, one of my teachers after high school was saying to me that, you know, you really get history quickly and I don't know what it is, 
but you're going to change the world somehow. And she said this to me out of nowhere in the middle of my depression. And it stuck, right? It stuck until the point where I woke up and I went, oh, fuck, I am the world. But that ripple, that one thing that she would have not possibly known how it would affect me five, 10 years down the road, did. Right? And so that's really it. Those moments where you can say an encouraging word, where you can put yourself aside to allow somebody else to feel the suffering they're going through without you taking offense to it just because they're lashing out. Like things like this, it's just the little moments that give people a chance to slightly adjust their direction. Give people a chance to see other opportunities that they wouldn't have seen while you were standing in the way, making it about you. And that's kind of the point, but it's practice. It's practice. Nobody's going, nobody's asking you to go out, sell everything that you own and, 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 you know, walk around North America with a rucksack and some sandals. Like, I don't want you to do that. I'm not asking you to do with the Jesus thing, you know, where it's like, get rid of all your shit and go to someone's house. And if they don't want you there, just say fine and leave and check the next person. Like that's unnecessary. It'd be nice, but it's unnecessary. Fact is, is that if you go to a grocery store today and you're going to the cashier, say hi, rather than just checking your stuff through, ask how their day is going, walking down a street where normally you'd be staring at the pavement. Just look up at the person walking by you, give them a quick smile. It doesn't take much. It's just little things, but you'll notice it's always you pushing past your comfort zone. It's always you pushing past your preferences because we would all prefer to just be left alone, right? But that's the thing is everybody's feeling alone. Everybody's feeling alone. And the only way that being alone stops having that negative tinge is when we realize we're all one because then it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference at all. Alone is just full of wondrous variety. So on that note, we are going to end this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. This has been a lot of fun. Again, if you can join us on Patreon, we would love to see you. Um, it's patreon.com slash dualistic unity. I do want to mention one more time that the retreat is coming up. The second Dualistic Unity retreat is coming up on April 1st, April 1st to April 9th. It's going to be fantastic. Details are available on the website, do keep in mind that there are only six tickets left. So do pick up your ticket as soon as you can. Can't I can't imagine a better Christmas gift for yourself than a full week immersed in relaxation so you can go back to your life fully transformed and change that path even just a little bit. Amen. So that's all you ever got to do. Change yourself, shift your perspective, see things a little bit differently and... People around you start to see things differently as well, even if that different thing that they're seeing is just you, because <laughs> that creates the ripple and that's all that you ever have to do. And yeah, the retreat is a great way to be able to begin to see a different way of living, a new, more free way of existing in a society that does everything it can to try and convince you that you're not free. So. With all that said, yeah, hope you join us on Patreon and talk to you in 15 minutes.